Dave Kerr of the Chicago Reader calls it one of the finest film explorations of the end of innocence. Ralph Novak of People Magazine says it's an invigorating first-class affair. It manages to make coming of age a witty proposition. And David Sterrett of the Christian Science Monitor says the writer-director shows a very strong filmmaking talent, which might blossom if given material worthy of it. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of risky business. Which one will it be? Greetings, Starfighters, and welcome to Ruined Childhoods. I'm Dan, and this is John. Hey, John. Hey, how's it going, Dan? It's going all right, John. How are things where you are? How are things in Portland? Things are good in Portland. It's lo- it's autumn. It's lovely. I just mm-hmm. set up a new television for myself. So first thing oh. I did, turned off the motion smoothing. Um, it's very important, people. Why do they are, still include it? They And why do they set it as the default? Yeah. That's a good, that's what is it a about? real question. What's, like, who's behind this? I don't know, but don't forget that our friend Tom Cruise released that video uh, encouraging people, urging them to turn it off. Folks, in honor of Tom Cruise Month, turn it's, off the the motion smoothing. Yeah, it's TCM on Ruined Childhoods, and we are very, very excited to keep moving. But I've got to, because this episode is coming out uh in mere hours from when we're recording this, uh, I did inc- I did think to actually look up a few news bits as oh, they yeah. will still be relevant. Uh, yes. So it looks like we've got a little bit of movement on a uh, Little Shop of Horrors remake. Your eyes look <laughs> a little. I mean, upset. this is you have to understand. So little little background here. I am a little behind on news. Um, my daughter Chloe, who is in kindergarten is star of the week this week. And that means that, um, I spent much of the weekend preparing things like a picture board and, um, a STEM experiment and doing like putting together a, a little STEM experiment that she would actually be able to demonstrate in front of her class. (laughs) So I did, um, I managed to find something that I was like, you know what? I think she can, I think she's got this. So I don't need to go into the details. That's, that, that's not why anyone is here. But, um, if you want to know how to do a, a walking rainbow, Google it or email us at ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. I'd be more a than happy to. A walking rainbow? A walking rainbow. Yes. Or a walking rainbow. Oh my God. All right. So, so you've been behind on the news. This is I'm a little behind on news. I'm looking this up because I love Little Shop of Horrors. Right. So this is a remake that's kind of been like people are talking about it, but it's not like big news news yet. And um, the news that came out is that Billy Porter uh, is is potentially going to be voicing Audrey too. Okay. Yeah. It, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, there's really not much more news about the Little Shop of Horrors remake. Well, I'm, or as I should I'm say looking... this Little Shop of Horrors remake, because as we know, there already is a Little Shop of Horrors remake, and that's the one that people are most familiar with, probably. Yes. Well, I mean, to, to just go briefly into the history of Little Shop of Horrors, it started as a... Uh, as a Roger Corman flick uh, called The Little Shop of Horrors and featured a cameo by Jack Nicholson mm-hmm. as in, in a role later played by Bill Murray. Bill Murray. Mm-hmm. So memorably. Um, so little The Little Shop of Horrors was adapted as an off-Broadway, this wacky off-Broadway musical by these two guys, Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, who you may know from... Beauty and the Beast, The Little Mermaid, Aladdin. Um, so they developed this kind of like 60s doo-wop style musical 
that's really funny and really dark. And it was this big off-Broadway hit. It was never on Broadway. And then in 1986 was made into a film by Frank Oz using um, the like the like basically the Jim Henson workshop to create mm-hmm. Audrey 2. It was voiced by Levi Stubbs of the Four Tops and starred Rick Moranis as Seymour, which is – it's perfect casting. And for the remake, I see that they're talking about – like I see Josh Gad – being mentioned yeah. which i'm like eh. i see ben platt being mentioned and i'm like which one is ben platt so ben platt is known as so he's re- he's currently starring in ryan murphy's the politician on oh, netflix gotcha. he okay. was in pitch perfect uh he was actually I, I really liked him in in the original pitch perfect um so i hear that they're mentioning that they're mentioning him and possibly like Chris Evans as the dentist, <laughs> which Steve Martin was the dentist in the Frank Oz version. And it's just, I mean, we don't have to talk about this. We really don't have to go into it today. <laughs> we can save it. But right. I, the more I think about that film, the more I think it just holds up so well and is such a great version of the stage musical. Now the theatrical release of the film featured a happy ending. Spoiler alert, the stage version does not have a happy ending, I right. guess, unless you are rooting for the plant. Right. Nor does the original film. Nor does the original film, nor does Frank Oz's original cut. And, oh. and if you have um, the, the, I guess it was the 25th anniversary version. Uh, Certainly like everybody Blu-ray. has that. Well, okay. So I have this collector's <laughs> edition of the Blu-ray and it, it features the original ending that Frank Oz shot, which is basically where Audrey two succeeds in this world uh-huh. domination. So um, it is, if you haven't seen it, it's it's worth your time. It's not it's not a long film at all. It has so many wonderful cameos and mm-hmm. performances. Steve Martin as the uh, sadomasochistic dentist, uh, Ellen Green as Audrey, mm-hmm. and I think like it's the role that Ellen Green is associated with. She sure. she did it on stage as well. Um, uh, Christopher Guest pops up for a cameo. John Candy. Pops mm-hmm. up uh, in a cameo, Jim Belushi. I'm I'm trying to remember all of the cameos, and there's you're naming all of the cast, just period. Well, I mean, like Christopher Guest is just kind of like the first one who walks in and is like, I couldn't help but notice that plant in the right. window. Tell me about it in his like you know in that Christopher Guest voice, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, I'm I'm really I'm trying to remember all the other like there are I think like Paul Dooley is his name has a You don't have to keep on naming people in Little Shop of Horrors. John, I know you're telling me that, but <laughs> the voices in my head are I telling me I feel like me. you're just unstoppable right now and I just need to like pull the emergency brake. <laughs> we can okay. move on to the next bit. I have nothing. I have nothing else to say. I'm burnt out on that. Sorry. See, this is what happens when we do news. This is why we record our episodes so far in advance. All right. I'm. I'd so be surprised if you have value. much to. I'd be surprised if you'd have much to say about this next one. But uh, tr- a trailer was released, I believe, today for uh, Doolittle, the new Doctor Doolittle remake. Uh, I haven't watched the trailer, but it's Robert Downey Jr. It takes place in Victorian era. Um, <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. in a role that would have been played by Johnny Depp. Yeah, Robney Downey Jr. Field. Yeah. Robney so, Downey Jr. Field. Yeah. So um or Donnie Robert, Downey, <laughs> Robert Downey Jr. Um he's done with his commitment <laughs> for the Marvel movies, so now it's on to other stuff. <laughs> to other rebo- reboots, remakes. I mean, I guess it's a it's a reboot because it's a property that just is it's rebooted fairly consistently. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want to say this is, is this the third big screen version? Yeah, I believe so. Because the original the one... was 60s. 
Yeah, it was late, late 60s. And oh, I want to say that was uh, I'm drawing and a then, blank on then the 90s the with Eddie Murphy during that era when he was just in everything. And then was that uh, 90s or early? yeah, I guess that was 90s. Yeah. The, Rex Harrison, that's Rex Harrison. I keep I kept thinking like Richard Harrison. No, it's Rex Harrison who played Dr. Doolittle in the 1967 film. And then, yeah, Eddie Murphy. Yep. And now uh, RDJ. That's that's what I got for news stuffs. I'm sure there's more out there, but I don't want to spend too much time since I still have to edit this thing tonight and put it out tomorrow for tomorrow morning. So I won't I won't go far on this tangent, but uh, I do want to say I had the pleasure <laughs> of going to the movies this weekend. Did you? And I saw Joker. And I think because Joker does fall into the realm of it's kind of yeah. like the, now the character, just the character is being rebooted mm-hmm. constantly. And I will say and I walked in with like having I not I don't read reviews before I go see movies, but it was kind of hard to avoid word of mouth on this. And there's everything from winning the golden lion at the uh, Ven- I believe it won the golden lion. Um, was that the, what the award so. Venice film festival? Um, so it the golden was gondola, the golden gondola. Yes. Ah, um, uh, Venice. So they, so it won that, but it's also gotten response. It's gotten critics saying that it is like just, nihilistic and vapid and empty others who are just saying it's really just blah and then others who are saying it's like it's a revelation and a movie of our times and something that really represents the the kind of chaotic times in which we live so all that said i kind of went in just kind of like okay I, i just hope i don't end up being like disturbed i don't want a, a, mm-hmm. a disturb i don't want like a requiem from the dr- requiem for dream night at the movies yeah which is funny because as we as um my wife alicia and i were driving home it was one of the movies that came up in our discussion of it but positively okay i haven't seen it yet so right oh I, all i will say is this and this is real. I am not. I don't need to give anything away about the story or anything. Like you've seen the trailers, you've seen what Joaquin Phoenix kind of brings to it. You've gotten a taste of it. Now, I saw this movie not much more than twenty four hours after completing a day long course in mental health first aid. Gotcha. And pretty much from the beginning, from the time the character of Arthur Fleck as played by Joaquin Phoenix is introduced. I really felt like all, a lot of what I learned during that training and a lot of the symptoms of mental illness came, uh, came to mind and felt very believable as I watched them on the screen and the, I would say, not the lack of attention given to mental health and mental illness, because I think mental health and mental illness are a are sometimes used like, you know, they're used as a scapegoat for shootings for, for right. people who don't want to blame guns. So it's not like, but there's no serious... There, there's not enough serious attention given to it. And from hearing about this in this training, like Washington state, you can kids at the age of 13 can sign themselves out of institutions, facilities. Mm. They can sign themselves out of service. They can reject service. And our instructor talked about like her personal experiences with the system and having to send a close family member to a school in Idaho because it was the closest school that fit the needs of this child. So in seeing that reflected in Joker and in the, the idea of not only our mental health services, very like, cursory and perfunctory unless you have the money that 
they also can be taken away by, you know, uh, by a, by a budget. Yeah, for sure. And that people who desperately need men in, in a way, it's kind of a movie about what happens when someone who desperately needs mental health treatment and proper mental health treatment doesn't get it. Yeah. So in viewing it through that lens, I had to say it, it was a, it was an impressive film and it was a world well, like yeah, I went I'm to looking see, forward I, yeah. to seeing it. Yeah. That's, I mean, I don't need to say anything more about that other than to say just from a person who kind of went in just as likely to find it a vapid exercise in nihilism. Um, I, I found it to be meaningful and um, it definitely resonated with me. So, I mean, it. I'm just looking forward to seeing a, a movie about the Joker where he doesn't battle the Batman. Which, as we've seen for Joker's from Joker's in the past, that can be pretty risky business. <laughs> well, take those old records off the shelf, John. <laughs> <laughs> I while you were testing the entire Ray-Bans thing, I was like, "How do whiteies. I?" I was like, "How do I tie this back to what we're talking about?" <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix could be cruising his way to an Oscar. Okay. Well, first of all, <laughs> you're going to hear us talk about Joaquin Phoenix and his early career. I'm sure very soon. Because it's amazing how we haven't gotten to any of his his early movies, which we the Leaf Phoenix, uh, the Leaf Phoenix years. era, yeah. So um, risky business. That's what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, risky business. On this episode um, 1983. Yeah, that's the year I was born. Um, yeah. Just for context, I wasn't aware of this movie when it first came out. Dan, I'm sure you were uh, barely aware of uh, what was going no. on with this movie. No, I wasn't. I there was, I think, one movie looking at the like nineteen eighty three kind of like box office. There is one movie of which I am aware that year in its release. That is Return of the Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise, yeah, um, yeah. Otherwise, it it it's. Uh, yeah, I was not aware of much more than that. It was right. it was Star Wars and He-Man and and nothing else. So as far as Tom Cruise's career goes, he had been in um, Taps. He was in The Outsiders. Uh, this was pretty much his next big one after that. I think mm-hmm. this came out the same year as uh, Losing It. I I'm trying to remember if Losing It was was eighty two. It, I think losing it was definitely before this, but I'm not sure. This came out in August 93. 83. 83. Wow. Uh, yeah. So just a, a brief synopsis. Uh, mm-hmm. Tom Cruise plays Joel, who is a high school senior, we have to imagine, whose parents uh, are you know putting a lot of pressure on him to do well in school and be kind of this model human uh, get who, into Princeton who get and get to get into Princeton and um, they are going away for a few days and they trust him. Uh, his mother is more trusting of him than his father, but they know that he, you know, will use his best judgment and everything will go just fine. And uh, what ends up happening is his friend miles played by Curtis Armstrong encourages him to, you know, step out of his shell a little bit, you know, break the rules and just say, fuck it. And yeah. uh, as kind of a pseudo prank calls and hires a, uh, a call girl, a sex worker for Joel. Um, lo and behold, like later that night, a, uh, a sex worker shows up to his door who is um, a, I don't know, transgender or I, I don't know exactly where this person falls into, like which category yeah. they fall into, it, it's but kind not of what your, he's expecting. Right. It's kind of your 1983 version of like, they probably at the time, she's probably credited as like transvestite. Right. That's and probably what they would have used. 
But I will say uh, the actor who played this character, I don't know the name of the actor off the top of my head, but, you know, played it as a very intelligent person who was, you know, a little eye-rolly about the situation, but... Had a Terry Crews quality. (laughs) Yeah. This would would be played by Terry Crews if this were coming out now. Or RuPaul. No, maybe too old. Or Billy Porter. I don't know. Billy Porter. So... um, essentially gives Joel the number for somebody more his taste from what he would believe would be his taste. So uh, Joel ends up calling up Lana, uh, Rebecca DeMornay. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they have their their night together, which turns into a a morning together. And uh, long story short, this is it's essentially a giant con with uh, between Lana and Guido, her pimp or manager, uh, to essentially kind of grift him and and get him to make them a lot of money by convincing him that the two of them had this connection and that um, he would eventually throw a big. Uh, sex worker party at his house because she sees how expensive all the stuff there is because it's his parents' place. It's in a really wealthy part, uh, suburb of Chicago, and uh, it's around the corner essentially- from Cameron Fry from it's Ferris very, Bueller's Day Off. It's true. Uh, yeah. So um, the the idea is to steal all of his stuff and kind of charge him to buy it all back. Now, do we know? Was she? I felt like it was kind of inconclusive whether or not she was in on it. I mean, it's it felt like she had to be in on it to a certain extent. Like she, yeah. it seemed like she was in on it, but kind of was feeling like she didn't want to be. But because she seemed, or at least she was very convincing, and that she cared for him. Yeah. But I think that ultimately all of this was, you know, she was in on it to a certain extent. She was in on it, but maybe she felt a little regretfully worse than she usually. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so that's that's basically it. And I, uh, you know, Joel certainly evolves as a more laid back person. He's uh, also taking these business classes in school, and all of this kind of goes hand in hand with the the work that he's doing at school. And he's kind of like secretly becoming this business person by essentially becoming a pimp himself uh, under the radar while everyone else at school is like doing these, you know, <laughs> fake business projects. Um, widgets. Widgets. What's a widget? Uh, back to school. Back to school. That's right. So, yeah, I, I mean, it, what's interesting about this movie is that it does feel very John Hughesy. I mean, aside from it being set in like in the same area where all of his movies are essentially set, but it kind yeah. of like you know the when he's taking his parents to the airport and it's like his point of view and they're talking to him like that feels very John Hughesy. Um, the iconic scene when he's dancing by himself in his underwear, like it feels like it's a fun teen, like um, Ferris Bueller kind of moment. Yeah. Yeah. And it definitely has a Ferris Bueller vibe until it doesn't. Until it doesn't. Very true. I mean, very (laughs) early on, you know, when he's talking about this dream that he has and, you know, there's nudity like right from the jump. It's pretty much letting you know, like, this isn't going to be your typical, you know, teen comedy. But you have to think, John, at that time, what was your typical teen comedy? It was Porky's. That's a good point. It was what Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is a movie that I actually I find slightly similar to Risky Business in that it has some pretty severe tonal shifts. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. But. But Fast Times at Ridgemont High was considered as that was, but not as severe as a movie like Roadhouse. Oh, (laughs) oh man, I I've been referencing Roadhouse at my play rehearsals at school. I, for those new to the program, I am currently directing my own reboot of A Few Good Men, 
has a high school play and um it and there are times where i've described a character as that if they got any closer to you they would rip out your throat roadhouse style call you chicken dick i leave that part out (laughs) (laughs) uh so yeah I, i mean this this movie does have a lot of really fun elements to it and you kind of can, it's easy to get caught up in like the antics of this movie, but it definitely goes back and forth of being like this movie about struggle and coming of age. Uh, Also, as Tom Cruise has said about capitalism. Yeah. Oh, it's, I mean, well, yeah, it's definitely about mm -hmm. capitalism and it's definitely that, 80s just like materialism i mean even without tom cruise's character you have the father who gets all weird about his graphic equalizer on his uh stereo system he gets all pissed off about it and he's you know the dad he doesn't come across as necessarily like abusive but definitely like emotionally absent or cold yes oh for sure yeah, and Joel is, it's kind of hard. I think I I struggle with the character of Joel because I'm not sure if he's supposed to be this awkward teen. Like, you know who is supposed to play Joel? Brian Backer. Brian Backer, who played Mark Ratner in Fast Times Richmond oh, High yeah. and Arnie in Police Academy for Citizens on Patrol. Yep. So Brian Backer was supposed to play Joel, and then... They, I guess they had him, and then Tom Cruise auditioned, and they were like, oh, hey, Tom Cruise. Oh, it's that guy who's like the psychopath from Taps. And, right. Oh, he's good. Which, you know, and and I don't know if this is just because we're so familiar with Tom Cruise in Risky Business, but in a lot of ways it feels like it wouldn't be as believable if it were Brian Backer because Tom Cruise – he certainly looks like somebody who Rebecca Dormornay would, and I know this. This is just a very like, I don't know, shallow super, perspective. But like, it's a super, could, but super, but it's very eighties, very superficial, very eighties. Sure, sure, yeah. But it's yeah. like if she was saying, if she was trying to make it seem like she really wanted to be with him, it'd be a harder sell with Brian Backer. And it, but it was like, I guess because you introduced this character with him telling this story, which is, is any of it real? How much of it is real? Like, I'm, he's telling the story about walking in on like this girl that they go to school with who's babysitting up the block and like all of her clothes had gotten wet. And he's telling this story and you think it's, doesn't he even say it's a dream? I think so. (laughs) But then he says it's real, so it's like misleading, and in that it also definitely plays much more like a dream. Well, than but then reality. When he, yeah, because when he's saying like as he's walking towards the shower and like the steam, the closer he gets, the steam gets you know thicker, and it, even the visual of it, the oh, bathroom right. itself oh, you know gets what? like longer and longer. So I confused because that was that the one with the babysitter. That was no. where he goes into the neighbor's house and yeah. he's trying to find people and he walks into the bathroom and there's this woman oh, in, right, in the shower. Right, right. Sorry. So I got that confused with when he tells the story about walking in and with the babysitter, the girl who, um, you know, and he and he's like, yeah, and she said, I'm in the mood. And oh, he right. doesn't. And and he there's walks no away. visual there's no visual component for that. I think he's just telling right. that story. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's just telling that story. But it's first of all, it's set up very much like this like high school dream. Yeah, and you know who it kind of it re- reminded me of American Pie. Oh yeah. Hmm. It was these guys talking about sex, but uh, I mean, aside from the one guy who like comes in and has sex in Joel's bedroom with his girlfriend, just like because he knows Joel's parents are at home. Glenn or something. Glenn. 
Yeah. So other than Glenn, it's like you don't get the impression that these guys have had sex. Right. I mean, aside from the fact that Curtis Armstrong looks about 30. Yeah. He's still I still think he is uh, he's my favorite part of the film. He's so good. I think he actually is like 27 or something when they filmed it. Yeah. 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 Uh, but it's like it's it's almost like there's always that kid in high school and it's like yeah that's kind of who Curtis Armstrong plays you know that that guy who just like he just doesn't seem to give a shit what what the cool kids think right he is his own version of a cool kid and you know he's yeah. he's smart he's going to Princeton i believe or oh, he's going to like Harvard right he's going yeah to Harvard. he's going yeah. that's the thing is it's like he just he doesn't need he's like above everybody else yeah so he kind of and he's except you know what i i had a problem with was when like after the uh i guess the the first prostitute shows up and joel's calling him and joel's like what my like you made this phone call and he's just kind of like sorry you know i'm not i'm not going over there i'm not helping you out yeah. And I felt I I I felt I was upset. I was upset with him. Yeah, he's not the best friend. I mean He's not being a good friend. No, Bronson he's not, Pinchot is a much better friend. Bronson Pinchot is a yeah, he's a good friend. And let's talk just a little bit about some of the people in this movie. So that's Bronson Pinchot's I think first movie. Um later, of course, went on to Perfect Strangers and Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly Hills Cop 1 and 3 as Serge. Um, The most interesting turn as an art gallery assistant to an arms dealer. (laughs) Say what you will about Beverly Hills Cop 3. Serge is hysterical in it. Love it. Love it. Um, And then, you know, Curtis Armstrong, who is then in Revenge of the Nerds and um, all of the rest of the Revenge of the Nerds movies. Moonlighting. Um, that is a. He's the only person when I used when I lived in Los Angeles. He's the only person I ever saw who I got starstruck by. I I saw him at like a farmer's market, and I was like, "Oh my god!" I get it. It's Curtis Armstrong. I get it. It's Booger. Yeah. It's yeah. Well, also uh, better off dead. Oh yeah, better off dead. One crazy summer. One crazy summer. Like yeah. He, he just did so many amazing things in that era and he was like such a fun part of all of these movies. And then this is yeah. also the this is also the first movie for Megan Mullally, who was one of the call girls who you <laughs> oh, might right. who you might remember from such movies as Anywhere But Here with Susan Tur- Susan Sarandon who was in Lorenzo's Oil. <laughs> uh and also uh, Will and Grace and, you know, Children's Hospital and Party Down and all the other things that she's amazing in. Parks and Rec, I think she's... Yeah, Parks and Rec, Tammy yeah. too. Yep, Tammy too. <laughs> oh, man. She and Ron Offerman, so funny together. Nick Offerman. Nick Offerman, she's Ron Swanson, Nick Offerman. Yeah. All right, it's been a... It's, I'm like, it's Monday night. It's already been a long week. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. so... Uh, yeah, she's one of the call girls at the uh, end of the movie. And I'm using the term call girls because that's what they refer to them as in the movie. Um, I know that I I keep on also saying sex worker because, I, you know, that's my 2019 brain. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's okay. It, it's, it's all right. Roll. And uh, since we're talking about the difference between 1983 and uh, 2019... Uh, the the first evening that uh, Tom Cruise has with Rebecca De Mornay uh, sets him back three hundred bucks, which today would cost about seven hundred and seventy five dollars with inflation. Wow, you researched what the inflation? Uh, well, I also do a podcast about Leave It to Beaver, so whenever they talk about money, <laughs> I always like to look up and see like what that would be now. I haven't released a new episode of that in a while, but we're it's- we're just long overdue. It's been some time. It's it's been some time. But and then uh, I, I got we got to give a shout out to somebody else who is in the movie and who tends to to steal scenes and and gives memorable performances. And that would be Mr. Joseph Pantoliano, a.k.a. Oh, yeah. Joey, 
Joey Pants, who plays mm-hmm. um, Guido. Guido, Guido the Killer Pimp, one of the best lines in the movie. Yeah. And um, you may remember Joe Pantoliano from appearing in The Fugitive with Tommy Lee Jones, who was in The Client with Susan Sarandon, who there was in Lorenzo's Oil. Yeah. Um, obviously, as we've mentioned before, Tom Cruise and Nick Nolte starred together in Tropic Thunder, but it's yeah. fun to uh, see what else we can do. Yeah, I'm sure there's others, but, you know, hey. <laughs> so, uh, Dan, first of all, do you have any uh, recollections of your first time seeing this movie? I think I guess Rescue Business is a movie all about first times, isn't it? Um, that's the other thing. <laughs> well, is like everybody Tom- has their first time seeing Risky Business if you've seen Risky Business. But then that's another thing is it's like Tom Cruise, if that's like his first time and he's going... All night with Rebecca. I guess teenagers, hey, man. Seventeen. All right. So, um, I'm, which is that might have been around the the age I was when I first saw Risky Business. I don't know. I think Risky Business, honestly, was something I taped off HBO. I think it was one of those that I was probably in high school at the time, and I was like, "Oh, I've never seen this movie. It's uh-huh. on at three in the morning on HBO. Let me tape it." And I was expecting because when I thought of risky business, I just thought of, you know, the uh, old time rock and roll. Yeah. And all that. I mean, hell, that was how they started Alf. That was how the series started. That's right. Was Alf doing his risky business. Bit. It's been parodied in everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But and then you see this movie and it. And there's a train sex scene that's oh, really yeah. strange and re- like with that creepy dude. And then there's oh, okay. and like a score by Vangelis, composers. Tangerine of, Dream. Yeah. Oh, oh sorry. Uh, tang- was it Tangerine Dream? Tangerine I Dream. So. Not not Vangelis. Uh, it was Tangerine Dream. Sorry. Um, so you've got this like weird like synths like yeah. weird score by by Tangerine Dream, which totally works. But it also had, like, if you listen to the songs, like, the actual pop songs that they got, like, Bruce Springsteen, who, mm-hmm. I think you don't often find him on soundtracks where he didn't, like, write a song for the movie, like, Dead Men Walking or the rest of Well, this at, this, at this era, he wasn't quite at that point. Um, Born in the USA was a year from coming out. He was... Yeah, I mean, he was he was really big, but he wasn't, like, writing... Songs specifically well, for movies yet. Yeah, no, no, no. That's that's true. But I'm just saying it was You've still, also got In uh, the Air Tonight, famously. In, yes, In the Air Tonight, which I know most people remember that from Miami Vice. But Well, I guess I'm not no, most people. I forgot it was in this movie. I always really? think like, oh yeah, that was in like they used that in Miami Vice. There was that that I don't know, that one episode of Miami Vice. <laughs> Cool. They For had some a good, reason, that's what I think a budget. of. I, I'll have to double check that. I I hope I'm right about that. Uh, yeah. So, Dan, what would you do with Risky Business now? You know, John, that's it, it's a tough question. I, I, it's the purpose of this podcast. Yes. No, I know. But it's <laughs> but sometimes it's an easier like there's some movies that we talk about where it, there's it's kind of like there are avenues that make sense. Whereas for Risky Business, it's like I don't necessarily see a sequel. I don't see the purpose for a remake. And I don't. See, like, what what would a prequel be like? How did Guido get into pimping? I so I, I'm I I was kind of stuck on 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 where to go with with this. Um, you know, it's just it's it's kind of an odd little film, and and it's got this really kind of weird, inconsistent tone that goes back and forth from like a John Hughes style comedy to like this quasi drama with a pimp. Yeah. And like hookers and granted, I mean, it's a, it's a sanitized, it's, it is kind of a sanitized 
vision of all that. Mm-hmm. Like if you were to, because if you were to remake it, we know too much nowadays. Like we, we know from like documentaries and, and TV and the internet, like we know too much. We know that like no one's, we know that, that it is like, like serious business and that, you know, it, I just feel like we know too much about the business of uh, sex work, sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we know, like pimp, pimps are, I, I mean, I don't speak from experience, but like, I don't, I feel like if I was, if I had a pimp who is after me, I would be terrified. Yeah. And and I know it's like it's maybe it's a sign of the times and it's a statement that Joel just kind of like, all right, well, here's money. I've got a bond in the in the right. bank. Here's money. So, it, yeah, I don't I honestly I would just I think just like leave it. Right. But we're talking like. Guido's got a gun to your head and is saying do something with risky business. Uh, <laughs> I, I, like, I, I'm like, I don't even think a musical version of this would be good. You're correct. It would not be. I I mean, for like risky business, I guess, a, I, I mean, I guess a remake, like a very loose remake kind of, I mean, in the vein of what we talked about with Rain Man, kind of taking the premise, but, but giving it a much a more modern, realistic right. Well, something also to remember is that there are sex workers who like being sex workers. It's yes, yes. There are yeah. uh, there are a lot of people who are doing it either against their will or as a last resort, and that's no good business. Um, so. And that and that's something that could be discussed in it, you know, in in some of the the scenes where like Joel and Lana are just having chit chat, you know, uh, which there there are quite a few. I mean, yeah. they do. They like, well, they yeah, they connect with each other. They do, they do, and I mean, and I yeah, it's like I'm not. I don't mean to be like disrespectful to sex workers. I'm just saying like risky business in 2019 like as a new thing as a product of 2019 I'm not saying it would be a good idea to revive this property but what I am saying is that I mean maybe remake it as a thriller remake it as a thriller yeah well well, that's, that's one of the things I'm saying is like it there's much more that we all know uh, about this industry and it's, you know, changed in a lot of ways, which is, which brings me to my idea, which actually is a sequel. And I'm not saying this is a good idea. I'm just saying it's an idea. So at this, at this point, Joel has gone to Princeton. Uh, He has become a, successful business person you know there's the moment uh when he's talking with his friends and it's all just kind of like you know do you want to do this to like put something out there in the world and like do something good or do you just want to make money and they're all like make money make money make money so i think that for him it's a lot of like you know he wants to do something meaningful but that's not the world that he's living in so i think that he's gone to princeton he's fit into that groove but there's still this part of him in the in like somewhere deep inside that had this experience when he was a teenager. Cut to it's 2019. He is uh he has a daughter who is in college perhaps also at Princeton. Um as we know Tom Cruise is maybe a little old for a college aged uh, child, but this is Tom Cruise who looks like he could pass for 40. So 
He's got a college-aged daughter, and as he discovers that in order to um, raise money, she has taken on work as a cam girl. Very 2019 business. And he's kind of going through the struggle with, you know, his his being a father and his past self and, you know, kind of getting into that world and understanding these people and, and getting in close with them. And as he kind of starts to come to terms with things, he discovers that she became a cam girl due to the influence of a gentleman named Guido. And that's when he knows this is very risky business. And he's got is that what it would be called? Is very risky business? Yeah, it's just called it's just called risky business. Twenty. It's just (laughs) you know thirty years later, thirty five years later, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I can kind of see it in that the the font very risky riskier business. And you know what? Tom Cruise does some running. He chases in the rain on foot. He can run in the (laughs) rain. He rode his bike. Well, no, he didn't ride his bike in the rain. It wasn't raining, but he rode a bike and got very sweaty. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so okay, yeah. Oh, and casting for his daughter Zoe Deutsch. I just think that she's good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Just saying. Why not? I was like, what actresses do I know who are what female actresses do I know who are? <laughs> Did you Google female age? actresses? No, I didn't. But then I was like, oh, Zoe Deutsch, she's good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's on the po- she's on the politician with. Uh... Oh, okay. And I did not realize that she is the daughter of Leah Thompson. I didn't know that. Yeah, Leah Thompson and Howard Deutsch, the uh, director. I think I'm pronouncing his name right. Yeah. Oh but... my God, I did not put that together. Oh, he directed Pretty in Pink. That's right. Now. Pretty in Pink and some kind of wonderful. Mm-hmm. The replacements. Some kind I, of wonderful. Was... Isn't that with? Tom Cruise? Isn't he no. in that? I thought that, that he was in Eric, that. Eric Is that Stoltz. Eric Stoltz? Eric Stoltz, who, oh, they, who starred with Tom Cruise in Jerry Maguire. That's... Um, so Wait, Howard Eric Stoltz George, oh, was in did. Jerry Maguire? He is. He has a cameo in the... Oh, like, there's the party celebrating Jerry Maguire, and he's like... Celebrating the release of the movie Jerry Maguire. They are celebrating the release of the movie Jerry Maguire. They're at the opening of Jerry Maguire's. And Eric Stoltz was there. Yeah, why cool. not? He was working there. Um, yeah. No, actually, he was the I cater really... waiter. So, and Howard Deutsch also he directed a movie called Article Ninety Nine. Which have you ever seen that? No. It's been a long time, but I remember like seeing that when I was younger, and it's like it's Ray Liotta and Kiefer Sutherland. Hmm. And I want to say they're doctors at a hospital. Is it during Vietnam? I think during the Vietnam War. I don't know. It was, uh, I remember, I remember really liking it though. So, and Howard Deutsch directed that father of Zoe Deutsch. Super interesting. Yeah. There we go. Talented family. Really? Indeed. Yes. What was the movie that Leah Thompson did with Tom Cruise? I know she. Oh, well, Leah. Leah Thompson. Sorry. So Leah Thompson was in. Um, was all, she was in some kind of wonderful. Uh, so so Leah Thompson and, and oh and Tom Cruise weren't they in something together? All the right moves. Maybe that was it. With Craig T. Nelson. Coaches Craig T. Nelson. Uh, Coach all the Craig right T. moves. Nelson. Tom Cruise, Craig T. Nelson, Leah Thompson. Oh yeah, okay. There we Never go. seen that one. Well, you're oh, not. That gonna... was released. That was released in 1983. Oh, almost. It was October 21st, 1983. So, okay. About to celebrate a uh, an anniversary. All the right moves. So, yeah, Dan. I never. Saw um, I... the other thing is that I, uh, you know, and this is all in like the all the trivia stuff for this, but uh, Curtis Armstrong and Bronson Pinchot, um, you know, had talked about their experiences working with Tom Cruise and uh, seems like wasn't a real fun guy to be around if you were 
a dude not working a, on a movie with him. Uh, not according to Bronson Pinchot. Yeah, very homophobic. Yeah. Um, called him very hey, dull. Like, what was the quote that you kept seeing? Like, you know, I, I'd go get uh, some ice cream. I'll go get some ice cream with you as long as there aren't any gay people in yeah, there. something <laughs> like that. It was like really, really bizarre. Like, he's definitely trying to prove something to nobody. <laughs> to, you uh. know... So, yeah, um, I mean, I don't know. Okay. And I, uh, I think it was Curtis Armstrong in his book, Revenge of the Nerd, uh, had said something about how he would like invite Tom Cruise to, you know, go out with them after shooting for a day or whatever. And he'd be like, oh, no, I'm going to, you know, go back to my hotel and, you know, do X, Y and Z. And I guess at the time he was uh, a, a Christian scientist. Is, is that what you call someone who practices Christian science. I I guess so. I don't know if yeah. that makes you a, a Christian scientist. Yeah, I think I you have know. to go to like you PhD have to get a, a master's in Christian science. Yeah, PhD. <laughs> um, so so he would go back and like say who's going to just read the Bible, but then uh, Curtis Armstrong would go back and see that he had like a line of girls outside of his room, and like one would come out and then the next <laughs> would come in, and it's like I read this. Yeah, yeah. It's like what is this guy? up to i mean he's at the at the beginning of like stardom you know he's starring in this movie but you know he was in the outsiders he was in taps you know he he was a he was somebody that people certainly knew about losing it had just come out i guess i guess that probably wouldn't have come out by the time this was being made but um yeah anyway uh really interesting and you know you hear a lot of stories now about people who have had encounters with tom cruise and only say super nice things about him and say that like you know he's very thoughtful and you know he sends you a birthday cake every year on your birthday and he you know does all these things for the people that he Mm -hmm. you know works with and stuff so it seems seems like uh scientology did him good well, he's in a much, I mean, aside from like, aside from Scientology, he's just, he's also in a much different place now than oh, he for was. Sure. I mean, Early yeah, imagine, 80s yeah. Movie star, and he's still well, a child, like, basically. J- just becoming yeah. a movie star and, and really starting to learn what, what all that is about. I mean, you know, you, you have a line of women waiting to read the Bible with you. Yeah. So like that you need someone happen. else you need someone else to like go back and forth with to like run the lines. You know? Yeah. You can't do them all yourself. <laughs> the lines in the Bible? The lines in the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like so... you you be you be Esther this time. <laughs> and you know. I'll be a Hasueros. <laughs> Did I get that right? <laughs> sure. Don't be Haman. Oh, no, you I never played Heyman once. Did you I played really? I played Heyman in the Purim Spiel one year at Emmanuel. <laughs> the Purim Spiel. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, on my resume. Hey, speaking of of things that are very specific to our uh, hyper local <laughs> upbringing, uh, this is our thirty fifth episode. And our local uh, TV channel growing up was TV 35. Dan, did you have much experience with TV 35 growing up? I, I I guess I had limited experience with TV 35. I mean, I was definitely on there a few times, you know, like they, they put the well, you parades were, on you there. You were like the senior class president, so I bet that you had some sort of... This wasn't... The, no, it's not like TV 35 was Fox News. Like, it's not like I had no connection to any TV I was. I'm not saying that you president. did press conferences or anything like that. I'm just saying, like, you know, you were a person that... I, I got all my talking points from TV 35. I'd watch, <laughs> you know, Total Sports with Ed Toy and then just repeat the talking points. <laughs> I think that was the only show... That was, like, the only it, show on TV 35. Other than, otherwise, it was... It was like the town, town hall, like town meetings. I want right. to say like a town hall, but it wasn't that. Just like the the meetings, mm-hmm. whatever meetings. They showed like the parades and school concerts. High school graduation. 
They show oh high school graduation was on a summer of nineteen ninety five. Any time of day you could turn. I also on. know that they showed the high school football games because I used to be a camera person for those. Oh right, because I briefly yes. volunteered there as a camera operator. So tell us about your experience with TV thirty five. You've got you have some real experience there. Let me tell you, I really wish that I had the foresight to know that like it would be such a cool thing to like make crazy public access television shows. <sighs> yeah. I know because like, Insight. honestly the set that they had there. So the TV 35 station was, or maybe still is in like the basement of the municipal building, the police station, the police station. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just kind of an afterthought and, uh, yeah, it's very between two fernsy, the like set that they have there. Yes. That was exactly my It's got like a curtain behind it and I'm sure they have a plastic fern or two. Um, yeah, real low budge. And I'd be surprised if they upped that budge at all. Um, I'd be, I'd be disappointed. But yeah, I remember like the gigantic cameras with all the controls on the like handles and everything like that. Like, you know, they they were given money to get the place set up, but I don't think that they ever upgraded anything. I'm sure that now they've got, you know, cheaper but better cameras. But (laughs) John, I'm just. What are you looking up right now? Well, I'm. Oh, hold on a second. That's the. uh... This video just started playing, but it's Cranford's TV 35 Management Weather Central. And here, hold on. You can't see this yet. So I'm going to show you the picture and I want you to guess the year. Uh, I can't see it very clearly, but my gut says 2019. Oh, 2017. 2017. I thought you were going to guess like 93. It also looks like it could be 93, like easily. Um, yeah, but like it, yeah. I was there around, I don't know, 98, 99 doing stuff probably. Did I, I, I just, all of a sudden you probably weren't there for this, but like, I want to know, did like TV 35 run like a Y2K? No, not that I recall. <laughs> like we're TV 35 is going to be on the air until the Y2K bug shuts us down. Yeah, no, the there certainly wasn't anything like that, at least that I can recall. And, and I'm pretty sure I'd recall something like that. Um, but yeah, that was certainly a bizarre experience. And I almost wish that I could still work at like a small town local TV station, like a U62. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a TV 35. It it was, it it it, it had that, the offices or like the little studio, the like yeah. little editing suite definitely had that U62 yeah. feel. We're referring to it. UHF, by the way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, and this kind of situation where it's like, I bet that if I said to them like, hey, can I have my own show? They'd be like, yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It, in between it, I mean, episodes t- of Wheel of Fish. <laughs> And bowling for burgers. Bowling for burgers and <laughs> amazing pets. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful uh, movie. So, we'll talk about it another time. So, Dan, do you want to yeah, tell everyone John. what we're going to be talking about on the next episode? So, our next episode is going to take us uh, a couple of years in into the future, past Risky Business, and into Ridley Scott's 1985 fantasy epic legend. Yeah. Starring Tom Cruise, Mia Sara of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, mm-hmm. and Tim Curry. Tim Curry, yeah. Yeah. Really, really excited. Excited to check that one out. It's been a while. Yeah. Uh, we kind of, before we started recording, we're going back and forth about this one and another one, and we both were just like, yeah, legend, you know. it's We're right around Halloween time. It's got that kind of vibe to it. Well, yeah. I, I, I think it... it it fits well, and I'm I'm excited to to get another look at it. It's like I I mean I'm pretty sure it's been since maybe the the 
late 80s, early 90s that I've seen it. Me too, probably. So um excited to get a, another look at it and excited to talk about it with you, John. Yeah, likewise. All right, Dan, you have a good journey. Hey, you have a good journey. should have called first. Well, I had the music pretty loud. I probably wouldn't have heard the phone. 